0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey Ashley, how are you?
1: Fine Will, how are you?
0: I'm good. Hey, you remember that time that we interviewed uh, Nate Hutchison?
1: I do remember that time.
0: And he mentioned this guy named Hamish Taylor?
1: Oh yeah, I remember him too.
0: You remember that time we interviewed Nate and Whitney Hutchison?
1: I do remember that time
0: as well. And they also mentioned this guy, Hamish Taylor?
1: I remember that too.
0: Well, do you remember that time we interviewed Hamish Taylor?
1: Oh, it was a good day.
0: That was a good day. In- I hope you remember it. You were in the room with him at the time. So it
1: was a very good day. We shared a mic, it was great.
0: Yeah. I think we should let people hear from Hamish Taylor. Let's do it. Here we go.
1: Your friend and mine, Hamish Taylor.
0: So, how are you, Ashley?
1: You know, I'm pretty great. I wrote a sermon today. I feel really good about that. I've had Hamish and Molly here, Mm -hmm. and that's made me really happy.
0: Good. Good.
2: I'm not sure why, but I appreciate that.
1: Well, we've had a really good trip, I think. I've I've, I've had a good trip. Okay, I've I've had a good time, y'all being here.
2: See, I brought my children, so I just don't understand how anyone else in the room has a good trip.
1: Oh, no, they're so good. We've been having a good time. I don't know if you know how I know Hamish. But here's how I know Hamish. So once upon a time, I met a guy named John Woodward. And we've had him on the podcast before. and Multiple times. Multiple times. And he is the executive director for South Pacific Christian Fellowship. And one day, a guy named Nate Hutchison was riding around uh, in the southern part of the United States with his dad. As you do. As you do. And stopped through Shreveport, Louisiana. And that's when Nate and I knew that we were going to be friends for life. Well, then John Woodward and I and a group from First United Methodists went over to Auckland, New Zealand, and it happened to be on the very first weekend.
2: I believe so. Yeah.
1: That. Oh, no, no, no. That was the next year.
2: Yes, I believe so.
1: (laughs) And so we met this group of people <laughs> that were thinking about planting We probably a should have got a story straight yeah, before we, probably, we started but that's alright. We probably all right. should have done that, yeah. So in 2018 I went to Auckland, New Zealand for the very first time with John Woodward. And while we were there, we ran into Nate and Whitney Hutchison, and they were Working at Shore Community Church. That's right. And it was uh, after they had just finished a church plant in Christchurch mm-hmm. and they were taking some time off. And they said, You have to meet these great people. Their names are Hamish and Molly. They're part of our church plant team. And so we did. I think we might have had dinner.
2: I believe so. <laughs> uh yes, I' my my memory from that particular stage of my life was a little bit hazy because uh, that was before we got started in this new church plant and I was coming out of burnout from the previous church plant so it's a fog.
1: I remember going with Nate to Hobsonville okay is it Hobsonville mm-hmm. and looking at the place where he was praying over planting a church right and so the next year y'all had planted, church northwest and it was your very first sunday worship service yes
2: that was two years later actually oh was yes. it? yeah i wasn't even involved in the project at that point oh. he was just praying over it. he was praying over me that i would get back into the game and i was i think praying the opposite and then god listened to him instead of me and so um we got started about a year later is when we sort of bought into the idea of the church plant. And then um, a year after that, that's when you came back and we were just getting started.
0: Can I just say one of the things that I've learned uh, about Ashley, I think maybe just over the course of doing this podcast, is that um, the people that that she really feels a deep connection to Mm -hmm. are people who her first meeting with them either involved going for a walk, Mm -hmm. having drinks, Mm-hmm. Or food. Mm. So, what I want to say to our listeners out there, any of you who, at any point in your lives, find yourselves either going for a walk, mm-hmm. having a drink, or sharing a meal with Ashley, just be prepared because you are probably at the beginning of what's going to be a very long and wonderful friendship with Ashley Goode. Just yeah, absolutely. That's, that's one takeaway, at least, of the broken banquet. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm not entirely sure Ashley has met a person she hasn't loved completely mm-hmm. and utterly. She's looking at me like maybe she <laughs> has met some people, and now I'm wondering <laughs> if I'm that person. But no, no that's okay.
0: There, there was a time when I felt like being in that that club of these are people that I love. Mm-hmm. These are people that Ashley loves. I thought that's like yeah, we're in. What I have realized is no, no, no. That's there's cool, a you know. lot of people in that yeah. club. Yeah, But I, I also them, know there are, there are some people who aren't in the <laughs> club.
2: Okay. All right. Well, I have not met such people yet, um, yeah. but I also know that it's not just a passing thing. It's a yeah. deep and genuine love for
0: people. That is for sure. Very Christ-like, I would imagine, actually. Mm.
1: Mm. Okay. Well, enough about me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is that a wrap? Are we done for the day? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think that was good.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> all right. Another one in the bag. Thanks, guys. Um, So I'm sick, by the way. Um, I've been on multiple really fast trips to the United States over the last like month and a half and have dodged the bullet every time until this last one. And I'm I'm just going to blame it on somebody that I sat next to on a plane. Mm. And about two days after I got home, I just started feeling really, really crummy. So Mm. I feel the best today that I felt since like last Thursday. So usually I I blame poor sound quality on just my being in Central America. Today I'm going to blame it on the fact that I can't breathe out of my nose. Yeah, um, you could do and, both, and I may be a little slow on the on the uptake today. But
1: you're the yeah. better interviewer of the two of us, so I would say you start, and then I'll jump in.
0: Okay. Yes. Um, I mean I, I'm just I'm I'm not going to fight with you about that, Ashley. I'll just go with it. I'm going to be easy <laughs> to get along with today. Oh, nice. Um, So Hamish, actually, the first time I heard about you was on the retreat that Ashley took us on earlier this year to Italy with a bunch of other missionary families and uh, had a a really, really good conversation with Nate, who's already come up today uh, about the church planting efforts in New Zealand. And your name came up uh, a couple of times. And so I'm excited I'm Sorry
2: for whatever he said. Yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Well, that's why we wanted to have you on is so that you could actually defend yourself. Yeah. I, yeah, um, yeah. Because it was pretty, pretty uh, slanderous and scandalous. No, not at all. <laughs> um, obviously, you're kind of in a unique situation. I don't know if you could maybe tell us a little bit of your background. Sure. You're, you're a New Zealander. You sound a little bit like a New Zealander, but not as bit. much like a New Zealander as I might have expected. So yeah, can, you, can you help our listeners understand a little bit your your background and sort of what your journey into church planting in New Zealand has been?
2: Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I was born and raised in um, New Zealand, um, and so I spent most of my life in Auckland, New Zealand, where I'm at now. Um, and I was part of a church plant when I was 13, and I believe this uh, Shore Community Church has um, popped up on this podcast before um, in relation to our church. And so that's the church I I really kind of – I mean, I was a Christian my whole life, but that's where faith really came alive for me is this church plant. It was planted by an American group, actually, by South Pacific Christian Fellowship um, back in 95. Um, And so when I was 16 years old and God said to me, hey, you don't want to be a fighter pilot, you should be a preacher. And I was like, okay. Um, and so that's what I decided to do with my life. Um, and so I went to the preacher of the church, um, and he suggested that I might want to go to the States for Bible college. I was like, okay, sure, sounds great. We love getting out of our country. And um, that's one of the traits of New Zealanders is that we're pretty desperate to leave. Um, at least for a couple of years after high school. It's a small country. It's beautiful. We love it, but it's like cabin fever. You know, you get to about 18, 19. It's like we got to bail out for a little bit. Uh, so we usually travel the world. Well, I got my education at the same time, so that was a pretty good deal. And so I went over to the States where um, I went to Cincinnati Bible College, um, which is uh, no longer in existence, but um, it was a lovely Bible college. I enjoyed my time there, and I met my wonderful wife there, so that was, that was pretty good. And then um, I sort of changed my accent a little bit while I was there. I was there for four years and I was, I was going around talking like a Kiwi, and everybody was like, What were you saying? What was that? I don't understand what you said. Or they'd ask me to say, Hey, can you say aluminium? Ooh, what is a can made out of? And so, <laughs> like, okay, this is fine. It's good. The accent helped me get my lady. So I'm, I'm not complaining too much, but I was like, if I'm going to survive, I need to switch my accent just a little bit. And so I did, but at the same time I was learning how to preach. Mm-hmm. And so I started preaching in an American accent and started rolling my R's a little more and just sound a little bit more from down on the farm, you know, and I don't know, the wind changed or something. Cause I can't get it back. And so I've kind of stuck with this sort of I don't know, ugly twin sister of, of both New Zealand and American accents, and it's kind of... Um, it's a curse.
0: We cursed you.
2: Or bless me. I don't know. It's it's somewhere in between. So I sound American to Kiwis, and I sound Kiwi to Americans, and mm. I don't know. So that's, that's kind of how that accent part of my story happened. Uh, but while I was in the States as well, I had a really a good opportunity to uh, take a look back on New Zealand from the outside. So I grew up in New Zealand, grew up in a Christian home, in a church, and I kind of – it's not that I assumed everyone was Christian. I just didn't think about it. You know, I just—it just it just didn't enter my mind what the spiritual landscape of New Zealand was until I left and looked back. And, of course, I came to the States, came to the Midwest, Bible Belt of America, you know, churches everywhere. Everyone seemed pretty engaged in church life. And then I looked back and I kind of went, we're not. Like, we just – don't care about church. Um, and so that's kind of where I think God started planting seeds of church planting. I knew church planters. Um, in fact, I met Nate and Whitney Hutchison as they were embarking on a different church planting project to New Zealand. I'd sort of said, Hey, God bless, be on your way. Um, and then, so I saw church planters going to New Zealand and it kind of occurred to me through a journey that God, took me through. It didn't make sense for me to stay in America and be a pastor in a church in the States, which I actually really wanted to do. That sounded great to me. I loved the American church culture. I felt very accepted. My personality meshed well with that church culture. But um, it didn't make sense that I was staying and Americans were going back home to my people. Um, so there's a, a little bit of a, oh, yeah, it makes sense. I should go back mm-hmm. to my people and to do something about this and, and to start churches there. So that's what got me started um, on that journey.
0: Well, there's Gosh, there's so many things. How long do we have?
2: I'm sorry. I do tell long stories. Uh, no, so
0: no, that's good. That's what we want because the more you talk, the less we do. So that's, that's right. perfect. That's that um, no, I just – I mean, there's just so many things that kind of – came to mind just while I was listening to you, Uh, the, the idea of culture and bridging across cultures and, and the part that that plays in, you know, missions, what it means to be a third culture. We've talked about third culture children. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm from North Carolina. i lived in Costa Rica for 20 years. My daughter was born here. My wife Mm -hmm. is Costa Rican. So we're just a crazy mixture of, you know, mess um, the, the Hutchison's have talked about what it's like for them being North Americans but their children having been born in New Zealand and sort of the different struggles that come along with some of that but when you said I sound like a Kiwi to the Americans and I sound like an American to the Kiwis like yeah who are you do you know what I mean
2: <laughs> that's a deep question I'm still answering
0: that one <laughs> are you are you neither are you is that A disadvantage? Is it an advantage in some scenarios? You know, I remember Nate saying at some point when we talked to him how sometimes it takes someone from outside the community speaking to the community to Mm -hmm. get the community's attention, something to that effect. And so, like, for you being from the community, but you can speak like someone from outside the community. So is that in that case is that an advantage or is it just really confusing to people? <laughs> i just like, who is this guy? Um, well, I
2: think I think if I if I can speak to that that there's there's two layers to that question. There's the theoretical layer, um, and I think a lot of we've discovered a lot of church planters coming from the states or people coming from the states have have dealt with the theoretical level that a New Zealand is not super friendly towards America as a concept. Mm. Um, You know, they, (laughs) we'll let that just be what it is. But um, so that's, and so coming in sounding like an American is a disadvantage. Mm. Um, And there's there's all this theory around, you know, how a New Zealand is going to treat Americans if you're coming in and it doesn't seem like we're just, you know, coming in to tell New Zealanders how to do church because you can't do it very well and come to rescue and the savior mentality and all of that sort of stuff, you know. And we sort of play around with that. And so I think Nate talked a little bit on the podcast about trying to shed some of that Americanism in order to fit into the New Zealand culture. And they've done an amazing job of that. They've really embraced it. And so on that theoretical level, yes, my American sounding, I I didn't like that because our ace in the hole for the church plant team was that I was a Kiwi. I was a local. I was supposed to help us be accepted more. So that's the theoretical level. But on a practical level, when you start getting into a community of people and you just start talking one on one with people, those theories don't matter as much this is what I've discovered it really becomes down to who are you and who am I and so when I tell my story I'm accepted for my story or not accepted for my story whatever the case may be and the same goes for the Hutchison same goes for everybody if I come in and I act like a stereotypical American I will be treated as such Mm -hmm. but if I come in as me and if the me loves them and if they feel like that there is love there then it doesn't matter In fact, there's a, oh, you're different. Hey, that's fun. Like you get past that conversation very quickly in the relationship, and then it just gets down to who you are and who they are. So yes
0: and no. And that's just good practice anyway, right? Yeah. Um, You know, just be genuine. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Because the worst thing is to come in and pretend to be local when you, everyone knows you're not. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's not gonna go.
2: It's well. not gonna go. We, I mean, everyone knows who you are. I mean, you know, it's it's just. Being no matter
1: a, how much I say I'm Haitian, I am not Haitian.
2: No, no, not so much. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and f- you know, for me, that was sort of. It's been a struggle at times because there have been moments when I've really, I'm just tired of being will the north american missionary mm. you know and i'm very much a part of this community and i'm confident that the community would echo that if there was a way for us to ask all of them collectively you know it's mm. it's been that has been affirmed for me uh, over and over and over again but even though i'm part of this community i'll never not be will from eastern north carolina no. um, and so obviously for me to just pretend like i'm from here is ridiculous But so how, yeah, it's this, I guess the struggle for me sometimes is how, what are the real, real limitations to how fully I can participate in the community that I'm not from? Um, I, you know, I can speak the language. I, I can sound like a Costa Rican when I'm talking. I can fool people for a while, but, but ultimately I'm not from here.
2: Well, I agree with, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think the more we are authentic to who we are, the better off we're going to be in the relationships we have with people. So no, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to have no American influence in me. Mm-hmm. I'm not an American woman, you know, and I'm working with American people. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and be that. I'm just going to be me and God will use me as me in the area that, that he's put me in. So I don't have to try and be something more than that.
1: Hamish, that sounds pretty biblical because when we're talking about a (laughs) banquet table and what we can bring, like if we're talking about the great banquet of heaven and that God created each of us in his own image, but because we are each created with our own unique gifts so that we can make the body whole, like none of us are whole just by ourselves, but together as a group, as a community of believers, we are all invited to this banquet where we, as a part, can then become part of the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that sounds like if we do live into who God created us to be, we are living into our calling as believers.
2: Yeah, and I think this, this steps into the conversation, um, I'm guessing, between trying to think of the right words, but between an embracing of a culture and an assimilating to a culture. So um, I think, and I think when we first came back to New Zealand, I first came with the church planning team, there wasn't a a desire to assimilate to the culture. Um, But what I think, if I can speak for Kiwis in this space, is that we would rather an embracing of the culture, don't change who you are, just love who we are as well instead of trying to change who you are to become more like us, it's a you as Americans come in and love being in New Zealand and and, mm-hmm. and taking on elements of being both American and Kiwi. I mean, Nate Winnie have got their New Zealand citizenship now. Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful statement that is to us as Kiwis that they love this place and these people so much they're going to plant their flag here mm-hmm. and they're going to make this their home And take on that citizenship. But I would hate for them to give up their American citizenship in order to make that happen because that's still who they are. Um, And that's a beautiful part of who they are.
0: And we're all better if we're in the kind of relationship where I can love what is distinctly and uniquely you without necessarily denying what is uniquely and distinctly me. Obviously, if those things are harmful to one another, then that's something, yep. that, you know, we need to, to look at, but that it's not, and, and I've said this before, it's not about minimizing what is different and distinct about us so that it's just all vanilla. Exactly. Um, and we just, let's just all, let's just all love Jesus. and And that's all that matters. No, we are intentionally, I think, you know, intentionally by God created differently from one another in different contexts and cultures and all that kind of stuff. So it's a matter of coming to a table where you bring to the table, what God intentionally made about you. That's different from me. And I do the same thing and that makes the table whole. And I think Mm -hmm. maybe what's been so damaging oftentimes in the kind of missions realm is it hasn't, that piece has been missing and it's been about me going there to make them more like me because we get it right. you know, And that's just, that's just yeah. terrible.
2: So it's a pendulum. We don't want to do that, but we also don't want to go there and make me like them. Right, either. which is, um, yeah,
0: because yeah. we're in both cases, we're denying the intentional yeah. uniqueness that we all bring to the table. You
2: know? And another thing that comes to play with that is it really becomes about culture and nationality a lot. And so if I focus on the nationality differences between us, that's all it is. It's Kiwis and Americans. Mm. But really, that's only one facet of the differences and the similarities between us. There is, you know, there's a, a, a racial culture. There is language. There is likes and dislikes, family backgrounds, all of these sort of things. There are points of similarity and points of differences in all of those areas um, and so we can hyper focus on the national what flag mm-hmm. I'm flying um, as opposed to this is who I am. This is how God made me. This is my history, my background. These are the things I've done well. These are things I've done badly. These are this is this is me. Who are you? Let's let's connect.
0: So if I put you on the spot and and, and made you the spokesman for <laughs> New Zealand, I don't said, think they
2: would. They would like that. I don't. I think if there was a vote, I would lose. But please, they don't have.
0: They don't have a choice. This is our podcast, so I get to right. do that. Um, so, I'm sorry, New Zealand. Here we what, go. <laughs> what is it that that you know? If you had to make up a list right now, I'm putting you on the spot. Of mm-hmm. what are the things that you think I need, or that I will be made better mm-hmm. because you are bringing to the table? What are those? The characters are bringing to the table. That, yeah. Yeah. That are unique and distinct from from you know from me, and so in order to complete me, I need to learn these things from you. if we narrowed it more and said, what are the things that members of First Methodist Church Shreveport can learn from members of Church Northwest
2: okay um i it's difficult too because I speak without knowing the details of mm. Shreveport and and that sort of thing. So you've
1: been here for five days, and I haven't. You know really
2: I know. Well. I I, I, just, I shook a lot of hands, and I, I still haven't picked it up. I don't know. Um, I think one of the things that New Zealanders bring to the table that perhaps Americans can learn from. This is this is where I am going to start. Is humility mm-hmm. um, is, and that is a huge value of, of Kiwis. Is if you come into it guns blazing, I know everything. I'm right. Um, not saying that all Americans do that, but there is a there's a, a value in America of swagger, of confidence, and and that's a that's a beautiful thing. So it's not a bad thing in and of itself. But Kiwis come with humility. Mm-hmm. We don't toot our own horns. Um, we we try to. I mean, we're a small country, so we're used to being the underdog. So we kind of value that. Um, so that would be something that we can bring to the table that helps people come together is if we come with humility we're more likely to hear the other person um, if we come with confidence and we're right then great if we come with confidence and we're wrong then it's a it's a mess so um, that would be one thing
1: that's a really good one thank you that was in my dissertation Ah, oh,
0: well there you go. And- and you know, here we go, pointing back to the Bible again. I mean, that's a you know it's a pretty important characteristic of the Savior that we follow and And something that has come up, um, there's some words that I've realized as I go back and listen to these episodes and continue to edit and get things ready to be published, there's some words that keep coming up over and over and over again, regardless of who we're talking to. and you know, we've talked to people from New Zealand, we've talked to a friend from Cambodia. We' talked to a friend in Kenya. Uh, We talked to a friend in El Salvador, and and there are certain words, in spite of how different all of those contexts are and different directions that the conversation has gone, there are certain words that keep coming up over and over again. And we keep coming back to relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, We keep coming back to partnership and um, companionship. And, and to me, for, for any of those three things, if those really are important to you know, ministries thriving, there has to be humility in, in any of that. Because what kind of a relationship, if, if there's not humility, it's not going to be a healthy relationship. Right. How can you be a companion to someone, if you really understand what the word companion means, if you're not doing it with a humble heart? So i think that's a it's a wonderful characteristic to be able to say, "This is what we bring to the table. This is one of the things that that we can bring to the table um is a, a spirit of of humility. I think that's wonderful
2: well if I can um sort of step back and in, into more of a strategic context type space, <laughs> talking theology right but just um the way that the church is operated especially in the Western world, um, if I can use the term Western world, Mm -hmm. um, is we we have lived in a state of spiritual dominance. You know, Mm -hmm. Christianity has been the dominant um, force in in society for for many years. Um, And in New Zealand, we have discovered, um, and I think Nate brought up the term post-Christian, um, and in Europe and in many parts of the states as well and other places around the world that there's a moving past, that it's no longer a dominant force. it is now a minority place. Um, and so the confidence in the swagger and the authoritativeness that accompanied a dominant church that did good things in its culture because it was in that position. And I don't want to diminish those things. Paul was, those things. Um, so there's there's a place for that. Um, but I think that time is passing. And I think having a, a humble approach to relationships and to truth and to still holding truth, but the way we present truth, the way that we communicate the gospel story to people with humility fits Perhaps better now, as it did in the early in the first century church. Mm. So we are able now to look at the first century church and the Book of Acts and and some of those people, and recognize some of those attributes in the way that they loved and they they cared for and they silently and subversively spread the word, as opposed to openly and loudly and dominantly. Um, and so that. This 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 attitude that we have as as Kiwis, being underdogs, being the small country, being the small people, as many other countries around the world, I imagine Costa Rica would have similar sort of ways of thinking as well, um, that perhaps America hasn't been able to have because it is the big superpower in the world, and so that comes with its own attributes, you know. So we are able to sort of present this as actually the way that the church needs to operate in the coming years mm-hmm. and the way that the church is changing the way that the position of the church and society has changed. We are now the minority. We must approach this in this way, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, um, I often talk um, about the Constantine threshold, uh-huh. which is that same concept. You know, the point at which Christianity switched from minority to majority yeah. And in New Zealand, I know we've well past, gone back past the threshold again into minority. Mm. And I think this is and the encouragement I've given to um, churches in the States that I've I've spoken to is to either prepare for or admit that the, the threshold has either come or is coming. yeah, um, And to be able to adjust the way that we communicate the gospel and the way that we yeah, just the the entire attitude that we have in mission and gospel and evangelism, whatever you want to call it, um, needs to shift with that understanding.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: was going to jump in, but he looks like he's going to. He's, he's stroking his beard <laughs> like he's got, there's, there's a seed growing in his mind. and it's...
0: I'm just trying to decide how far off the rails to go. Um, <laughs>
2: Well,
1: it's always a dangerous well, here, question. Here's what I was going to say. I was just – my little adding to this is um, another book that I love is Dwayne Elmer's uh, cross-cultural servanthood. And the whole thrust of that book is serving with Christ-like humility, which Mm -hmm. is what we've been talking about, the the humble nature of of how Christ served and how can we embody that. And his whole push is that when we're acting in this superiority and arrogance, when we're going in acting like we know things and we're going in pushing our own agenda, we take away the humanity of those that we're sitting across from.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, We treat them like a project. And these are things I've said before. We treat them like a project. We treat them um, as if they have no identity and as if they have nothing to bring to the table. Um, so we have to switch that mentality around and treat people like people and treat people as though they are made in God's image and as though they do have something to add. And it going the one step further is asking what they have to teach us. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of the emphasis of, everything that we've been trying to do with this podcast of how do we change the mindset of the local church of the, the average person going and serving in our local or global community. And how do we get them to realize that they're going out to learn and to grow as opposed to going out to fix someone or something.
2: Hmm. I think too, I think part of that is, when we are talking to people who have grown up in a, in a culture like America's, and, and and everyone always assumes negative things will follow that statement, but it's America has been at the top of the world for so long now, um, and done some really good things in that position. I have to say that I know many of my country people would just like to point out the faults, but there have been some good things as well, and God has used. The states and is still using the states. I mean, we are being supported almost entirely by American churches who believe in spreading the word around the, the world and New Zealand churches are not there yet. So there, there's some great things that are happening. But for individuals living in that culture, it is it's very hard to shift that dominant mentality. Um, and, and it's hard for us to expect them to just do that. So I think a lot of that comes with grace and with compassion for the people of America that it's going to take time and it's going to take effort on their part to shift those mentalities, you know, and, and we, we, we can sort of slap them across the wrist for, for being arrogant, but they're products of the culture that they're from, you know, on an individual level.
0: So s- since you brought it up, <laughs> uh, one of the things that we're really hoping to accomplish is helping people rethink what missional relationships mean. Yes. Um, on the from between a local church and either a missionary or a missionary family or with the community where the missionaries are serving so can you talk a little about a little bit can you talk a little bit about what those kinds of relationships look like in your case um, maybe uh, you know actually you don't have to name names but like, have, there been, have there been some of those relationships where it just feels like everything's clicking and everybody gets it? And then have there been some others where that's not so much the case and you've had to sort of struggle through? How do we manage a relationship where their expectations mm-hmm. and our, our reality aren't really matching up? Um, do you just walk away from them or do you figure out a way to, to learn together and grow together and, and come to the same table?
2: Sure. Um, I will preface this by admitting that I am at heart a task oriented person. So um, I would disagree. Oh, no, I've I'm, had to learn. Okay. Well, I, I am a task oriented person. I don't consider that completely negatively, but um, the relational concepts of things are a little more foreign to me than the task of things. I resonate with the Great Commission. I resonate with those things of the go and the do, um, and that's why I partner with people like Nate, who can bring me back in into that relationship and really spearhead that. So that's going to influence what I'm saying. But I've um, I've also noticed that there's there's in talking with people like I don't have a church like uh, First United um, that is as engaged in 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 the abiding side of the mission relationship. Um, I. Yeah, I mean, most of my churches, they support us, they love us, they send us money, and that's that, you know. We send them um, reports when we're back in the States, we visit them. Um, I've not had many of them even sort of explore mission trips to the to New Zealand. We've kind of steered them away from that path because it tends to not be beneficial for either party, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of my churches are that. I know another friend who has um, churches of a different um, denominational group that is much more engaged, but on a contractual style basis. Mm-hmm. So here, he has far fewer churches than I do. I have something like 10 or 12 churches that support me in small amounts. Um, they have only a few churches and they sort of sponsor him. And so they, they sign a contract with them and that is very engaged and there's high accountability and all of that sort of stuff. So for me, the way that I think about the relationship with my churches is is it's almost like the sweet spot. I don't feel as engaged and supported and, and loved on an ongoing basis. But I also don't feel like I've got someone looking over my shoulders. Sure. <laughs> so there's a there's a, there's a sweet spot, I and mean, that's why I mentioned the task orientated thing. Because as a task orientated person, I like that. I like that people are engaged with what's going on. I tell them what's happening. They may ask a few questions, but they're not trying to run or control or fit what the work that's happening into their expectations. What it should be. On the relational side, they also don't provide much of that either, and that's fine with me because. I'm, that's not my, you know, like I'm, I'm just going to go and do, you know, and my relationships are close to the people that I have in, in my circle. So um, I don't know how exactly to answer the question, really, in, in that sense of, of how do I work through that relationship. Really, it's not a strong relationship between the supporting church and, the chur- and us. There is love there. I don't, I don't want to diminish that. There is care. There is we want to see you succeed. And that is expressed through the checks that are written faithfully, month in and month out, and um that that would be that
0: yeah, so that I was going to ask another question related to that how do you what do you hope just a normal member of one of those churches? When they're it's they're putting their tithe in the collection plate, or when it's stewardship Sunday, and you know they're talking about budgeting, and and they know somehow or another on their radar is part of, of our church's budget goes towards supporting these church planters in New Zealand. What do you hope that that means to the the person that's that's writing that check? Um, and here's why I'm asking this question, and I don't, I don't know if there's anything here, but you know, um, it's about a two-and-a-half-hour flight from San Jose, Costa Rica, to Miami, mm-hmm. right? So we have 40 or so volunteer teams a year from right. partner churches who come down here and work with us. So there's constant back and forth. There's constant physical contact between our ministry and the churches that that support us. Um, I'm back and forth on a regular basis. And I realize, obviously, that's not the case for everybody. So one of the things right. that I'm sort of trying to get my head around is recognizing that it's not the same for everybody. It's not the same for every missionary. Um, it's not the same for every supporting church. But I I think it's it needs somehow it needs to be important, regardless of how much or how little physical contact there is for the people who are paying the bills.
2: There's there's a triangle of relationships that happen when someone supports someone else, um, and I learned this from a book I read that I can't remember the name of. But I really like that it's it's a it's a connection that happens between the supporter the supportee and god Um, and what i've really resonated with and what i've tried to impress upon people when i've asked for support and when we've gone through that process is that they are not supporting me as much as they are worshiping and honoring god and god is the one who is asking them to engage in this activity and then god is supporting me so of the three sides of that triangle and again this may sound terrible the relationship between me and the supporter is the least important of the three relationships. So, and <laughs> so I this sounds like I'm kind of going against all of the things that you're talking about, but for me on the other side of the world, it like, okay, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound terrible, but please take it with a grain of salt. It's like, I am focused on, on what God is asking me to do in my place with my people. Um, If I've got a community of people in the States who are supporting that, that is beautiful and it's wonderful and it's fantastic. But if I have to spend a lot of time and effort engaging and and building the relationship with them, as a person who is not a relational person by nature, it is going to detract from the relationships that I'm trying to build in my place where God has called me to work. So... My What I want when you ask that question, what do I want for that person who is putting their money in the tithe? What I want is for them to be acting in worship of God and that that relationship grows stronger, mm-hmm. that their listening and their communication with God grows to the point where God is either asking them to give and forget, which is a real thing, or to give and engage. That's between them and God. So God is building them and building their faith and building their, their conviction through that act of, of giving. And then at the same time, God is building my faith and he is building my reliance on him through that act of relying and, and being supported by him and him supporting me and providing that those funds for me so that I can then focus on what I'm being called to do in New Zealand. And it sounds very compartmentalized and it sounds very... Like, I'm just going to focus on my thing and you don't worry about your thing. But in my mind, there is that element that God is using his chess pieces all around the world to achieve his purposes, what he wants to achieve. And so the queen does not necessarily have to have a connection with the pawn for there to be a godly connection happening, if that makes sense. Because the chess player is connected to both. And so that would be a way that I would look at missions in some way, not, not for everybody. Again, Nate would, would, would shrivel and die into that sort of mentality <laughs> because he the support that he receives from the people giving money to him it empowers him. It, it, en, it engages him. Um, as a task-oriented person, I'm enhanced and engaged by being able to do the thing God has asked me to do. Does that make sense?
0: Thank you. Yes. No, that's fantastic. Thank you so much um, for, for the way that you express that because I think to me, the most exciting thing about all of that is, is what it does is to some degree disconnects the giver from this sort of end like product, yes. right? Yes. Which, which and, and you know, actually talks a lot about the getting away from, from transactional missions. Mm. And so if I just have to, as the giver, have to put a blindfold on, yeah, and drop the check in the bucket and pray that God is going to use that so that you, who I may never have contact with, can plant a Christian community in New Zealand. Um, then, I mean, that to an extreme level avoids all of those problems that come along with yeah. "I'm saving this child's life" or "I'm doing yeah. this" or "I'm doing that," right? And well, instead, it's
2: say it has to be done a certain way, yeah
0: yeah i'm I am faithfully contributing to the work that God is doing in the world and trusting that God is doing the work in the world hmm. um, which maybe does mean that this podcast has just come to an end, and um faithful <laughs> friendship and relationship building <laughs> I've broken um, it. Awesome. You broke the broken banquet. <laughs> the broken
2: banquet. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is this is and I mean I think we're I'm I'm reflecting too and, and as I sort of do ministry for a while, I learn there are different ways that people approach these things and different Absolutely. personalities. And I was I was listening to one of the other podcasts that you guys were doing, and I can't remember the exact point, so this is gonna sound like a rambling, but there was this relationship-based thing where, you know, I want to engage with that person, I want to abide with that person, I want to, you know, be with that person. Also needs to reflect what that person actually wants and needs. Yeah. Um, and so there are people who, the introverts of the world, are 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 like in fetal positions in the corner. Um, thinking about the concept of abiding with all of these different people. It's it's scary, you know, um, whereas, you know, they have their genius is somewhere else and their, their strength is somewhere else. So it helps us to kind of like, okay, we want to do these things. We want to be engaged, but we also want to make sure that God is over this and he's putting us where we need to be, okay. which is why I think there's this beautiful connection between Shreveport and Nathan Whitney. And that you guys are life affirming and, and, and so giving towards them in a way that makes sense to them, in a way that builds them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I really would love to have gone to Italy as well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but there's, there's like the way that you would relate to me would be different, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, if i and, and I've had some connections with people like, okay, I gotta meet with them every month and I gotta shift gears. Like okay, I'm in my space. I'm in my circle. I'm very much <laughs> what is in front of me is what I deal with, you know. And then I got to switch gears back to what's happening in somewhere else and 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 tend that relationship and work on that relationship. And you don't want to sound cold and bitter, but there's a God has called me to do this thing here, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Well, and if I can speak to that, I because our relationship at First United Methodist Church is different with I think every single partner that we have and it's based on the partner, not on us, it's based on the partner. And that's something that we had to teach here at the church, that it was not a one one shop fits all, uh, one relationship fits all. There's some relationships where when we go visit, there is a purpose to that visit. Like There needs to be small group leader training. There needs to be something that my church family can add to your church family. And that's what we are coming to do. When I tell people of our church that if they want to go and build something and actually hold a hammer, then that means that we we go see Will and we mm. engage in this project when we can then he can teach them of, mm. of what it means to actually have a relational uh, ministry as well so that they can get both worlds yeah. and then come back so there there has to be there has to be the balance because we are all individuals and we all need something different from, from this relationship. So we have, as a leader on the mission side of things, on the church side of things, I have to be cognizant of that and treat it as such.
0: You know what it takes to be able to recognize that? Humility. (laughs) You know, because otherwise, you know, if you say this is what mission relationships must look like, then you're, you're not taking into account at all where the other person is um you know on any level so and i
2: think the beautiful thing that happens there too is when people are engaged with on in their space um they will actually move closer to your space in that so for me if if you know if i'm not forced into (laughs) like abiding all of the time I'm going to want to abide some of the time, you know, and I'm like working with Nate. This is a beautiful example because he is different from me. Um, And we've taken on a co-leadership avenue, which in the first church plan, I was more of the authoritative leader. And this time I'm forced to meet him halfway. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing for me because I am task-oriented and he's teaching me to become people oriented in some ways you know, and I'm hopefully teaching him to sort of, you know, knuckle down and do something every now and then, which is not fair. He does plenty of great stuff. But. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's like it's a there's a different ways of approaching things. And so we meet each other halfway if we're not forcing the other person to meet us all the way, you know. And so when we come and meet them, where are you at? They're actually going to respond by coming to where you're at as well. And it becomes mutually beneficial.
1: Yeah mutually beneficial mutually beneficial that's another one of my (laughs) phrases Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no i'm just thinking about how what a a healthy relationship it is to be able to say to someone you'll never know how much i value you as a partner and as a companion and the fact that you leave me alone
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know yeah um instead of trying to squeeze something out of this that's going to be incredibly unnatural for me and unproductive and, and and ultimately is going to result in my trying to create space between you and myself. And then there's no more companionship. Yeah.
1: Sorry, Will, I'm still going to hug you every time I see you.
0: (laughs) See, I try, I mean, these really subtly. I try and kind of. Why
2: do you think he's down in Costa Rica? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely, I, I, and that's that's one of the things I've really appreciated about what God has given me and the supporters that I have mm-hmm. Because that basically is what it is. It's a we love you and we're going to let you go and do what you're going to do. Yeah,
1: can I still come see you?
2: Absolutely, 100. Okay. Well, this is the thing. I mean, it's not forced. It's it's a you know, and you do got, this is different too because the way that um, Shreveport loves people is actually very life giving. Anyway. Um, if you did it every three months, it would not be. But it, the way that you come and, and you, you're rest-giving and life-giving, that's a beautiful thing. You, you really you really need that. But I couldn't have 10 churches like that. Mm-hmm. If I had 10 Shreveports supporting me, I would do nothing. Nothing would get done. I'd be building relationships with my supporting churches the
0: whole time. Yeah, you would just abide all the yeah, time. Yeah, I'd
2: be abiding. I'd just sit on my couch and just talk to people, which yeah. maybe my lazy part of my personality likes that. but. <laughs> the uh, responsibility part kind of screams that you actually you need to do something.
0: But, you know, there's, there's a huge difference in like what Ashley just said. Can we still come and see you mm. and saying, Hey, now don't forget next spring yeah. we're coming down with the missions board and make sure you got all your, you know, everything in order, your presentation ready. Cause we really need yep. to analyze how productive this relationship is. And to, like,
2: yeah, there's a difference a life giving or a life taking. <laughs>
0: yeah when yeah. when when Costa Rica first opened up again after um you know we sort of got over the hump of the pandemic, and teams started reaching out to us again about can we come back and what can we do and and what do you have going on and and there I mean, yes, they could come back. there was not much going on, right and so my answer was, you know it would be really nice if like four or five of you wanted to just come and spend a few days just kind of hanging out, come see how everybody's doing, all, you know, our staff and the people that you know here, come and see with your own eyes that we're doing all right and take that back with you to the church. Like that kind of, that is life giving, right? Mm. But the thought of having a group of 30 volunteers coming into that scenario, just because mm. they had all missed us a lot and were ready to go, that, it would have been a disaster. Right. So there has to be that kind of honesty, um, in these relationships to be able to say, we love you. This is what we need from you rather than feeling like anything you throw at us, we have to take it and say, thank you. You know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that also, I think when you're treated that way and you're given that freedom, God has space in our hearts on the mission field to open ourselves up, to bring people out so that God can work on their hearts you know, and I think there is a, a give and take relationship there that is possible where on the mission field, we can give experiences to people that will engage them in missions themselves, that they won't get in a classroom back at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that as well. And, and I recognize that. And it's, you know, we, we kind of say, oh, don't bring mission teams out, you know, because there's nothing for them to do. And that's, pretty true. Um, But also I think there's room for, in my heart, I think, to open up and say, you know what? Maybe this one's not about us. Maybe this one's about them. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can do it in a way that it's not 500 people because that's just ridiculous. But maybe, yeah, maybe 10 people who the church has said, I really think something could be sparked in these people. Can we bring them out and show them what's up?
0: Ashley, do you have a list of 10 questions
1: no, I don't, but I can make him up.
0: Well, we always apparently um, we always forget to ask people what's the most challenging thing about what you do? <laughs> so would you like to share that with us? What's the most challenging thing about being a church planter in New Zealand?
2: I think the most challenging thing for me is to find the momentum's not the word, but fruit. In in outreach type relationships. It just takes so long. It's just there's so much of it just seems like I'm doing nothing and going nowhere. Um, And so having the faith and the patience to not shift things up or to try something else, but to just continue to plot away in an attitude of loving and caring for people, which again, I'm task orientated. So this is hard for me. You know, mm-hmm. come on, let's see some results here. Um, why aren't you a Christian yet? If I don't baptize a certain number of people per month, you know, I'm failing. So that's trying to get myself into that mentality of the long game and of just, and being relational because that's what we need. And I know we need that. And it's, it's not my personality. So that's hard for me. Mm-hmm. I think that's my personal biggest challenge. Um, from a church, I think, yes, yeah, just breaking into that culture i mean you've got christians we've got christians at our church um and they're growing and and it's wonderful um but just getting them engaged and getting out into the community and trying to bring christ relationships into the community um and and introduce people to jesus it's Mm -hmm. simple it's really hard because people don't think they need it and you got to be very careful in the way you go about it and all of that so
0: well Thank
1: you. Is there anything you wish that we had asked you?
2: Um, no, actually. <laughs> I, there's nothing burning on my heart that I really want. Usually it would have come out already. I say what's on my
1: <laughs> Who's your favorite rugby team?
2: Oh, gosh. Okay, so my favorite rugby team, for those listening who don't know what rugby is, it's – wonderful game it's a beautiful game (laughs) it's new zealand's national sport and so i like the all blacks which is the national team i have to like them it's if i I get kicked out if i don't support them but there's a local uh, team in wellington where i was born and raised the wellington hurricanes i was only seven years old when i left wellington but it's still home and so i always sort of root for them when i can
1: this is one of the best conversations we've ever had
2: oh you say that
1: it was a really good one i bet
2: you tell that to all the All the missionaries.
1: First time I've said it.
2: (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. I'm honored to be a part of this. I I know you guys are very, very smart people. I I know you think very deeply and well about missions, and I appreciate that. I I, I appreciate that you treat me as if I have something to say. So thank you.
0: No way. This has been really, really good. This has been a good, easy conversation, and that's uh, that's helpful. You know what? We really wanted this to be. To be is just us kind of hanging out and talking mm. about stuff that's important to us with people that are important to us and uh, we appreciate you being willing to to be a part of it and taking time out of your your rest time while you're there to to do this i hope it didn't cause i was being
2: trouble. lazy today and i did have to come and do this so sorry. yeah that's sorry <laughs> sorry it is my absolute pleasure I, I, I love being able to talk through this sort of stuff. And, um, you know, when you're on the mission field and you're doing, mm-hmm. sometimes it's nice to sit back and think about what you're doing, mm. you know, and to talk to people about, you know, the theory behind it and and, and what's important. It's convicting me. I've already I l- listened to some of the podcasts you guys have done, and I've, I've, I've had my convictions and, and like, oh, yeah, this is this is going to be hard for me, but this is important. So I appreciate what you guys do.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for being a part of it.
1: Thanks, Hamish. My pleasure.
0: All right. I'll see you guys. When are we going to New Zealand, Ashley?
1: When would you like? Tomorrow.
2: Well, not tomorrow. No, I'm not going to be, be there. be there.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> mm.
1: Well, every time I listen to that interview with Hamish, it just gets better and better and better. And, and I even sent it to Hamish so he could listen to it. And we talked about how many things – we still want to talk about, so I can't wait to get him back on the podcast so that we can talk more about reciprocal relationships and the Maori culture, and reaching across the cultural lines to, um, for that abiding, just that abiding relationship. So we need we need Hamish back on the on the podcast.
0: I think we need Hamish and Nate together back on the podcast.
1: Oh, that would be so exciting, both of them together. I don't know if our listeners could handle it.
0: I think we should try. We should at least give them the chance.
1: Okay. Well then, to be continued.
0: You heard it here first, folks. Hamish and Nate part, well, not part two, because there hasn't been a Hamish and Nate part one. We're going to have Hamish and Nate on the Broken Banquet podcast.
1: Stay tuned. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table, all things are ready. Come to the feast.